Hi, I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg, and we're the co-founders of The Skim. Welcome to our podcast, Skimmed from the Couch. On every episode, we invite smart, inspiring, successful women to chat candidly about what it takes to get to the top, and then what it's like when you actually get there. So this is a podcast about the real stuff, the crappy days, the bad advice, the first big career win, and the people who are there for the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. We started the skim from a couch, and we have only one rule on this one, no BS. Melanie Whelan is the CEO of SoulCycle. She originally joined as the company's COO in 2012 and has helped grow the fitness empire from eight NYC studios to more than 80 across the world. And yes, she takes class multiple times a week, uh, although I'm going to ask her more about that. Uh, Before Seoul, Melanie was the VP of Business Development for Equinox, helped Richard Branson's team launch Virgin America, and worked in corp dev for Starwood Hotels. Her dad was actually an entrepreneur, so hustle is in the blood. Welcome to the couch, Melanie. Thank you for having me. We're really excited to have you here. Um, I feel like there should have been a tap it back pun <laughs> in the in the intro, but I'm not witty this that witty this morning. Um, but we are really really excited. I feel like out of all of the companies that we think about and look at and study, SoulCycle over the past you know years, it's just incredible the brand and the community that you guys have built and I know you guys know that and clearly have become so successful but for uh, entrepreneurs starting out it was such a model for us to study Um, so thank you and thank you for saying that Uh, so when we first started the skim we actually surveyed our audience and we said if the skim had a dinner party what brands would be there at the dinner and SoulCycle was was one of them that was like unanimously written in so my question to you is if Melanie, you, had a dinner party, what brands would be there? Oh, what a great question to start with. Um, so let me think about what kind of brands would be there. First, I, obviously, I would love to have SoulCycle at the table and would love to have you guys at the Thank table. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll check your calendar. Um, I'm really inspired by a lot of what brands are doing around creating content and conversation right now. I would love to have Glossier at the table to talk about this notion of starting with media and then creating great product and community around that. Um, Would love to have Warby Parker at the table talking about what it's like to grow off of the coasts and into new markets and forging a brand. Um, And I would love to have someone that has taken a brand that is largely community oriented in the US and has expanded globally successfully, which is something very much Mm -hmm. on my mind. I have to think about who that is. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'll bring a plus one. Uh, can we bring Weight Watchers? Oh, I'd love to. That would be great. That yeah. would be fantastic. Cool. Well, this is a great checker calendar. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> so, I want to ask you. I asked you that because you you work at and now and, and lead um, such a very specific brand that has nailed it from a branding and community perspective, and you weren't the founder of it. And I want to know what it was like to come in and take something over that someone else it was someone else's baby first yeah that's a great question I have to say coming out of my office this morning it's nice to sit with you guys and hear how 
inspired you are by the brand because I think as you know working so closely with something sometimes you look at yourself and you think we can be doing this so much better so thank you first for the compliments uh taps it back often well (laughs) I think it's it's not just the the workout aspect it is just from a business perspective how you've been able to focus on an audience and consistently over time deliver the same experience as you've scaled and I think that is a learning lesson for anyone trying to authentically connect to a consumer base but not being the one that started it is so interesting to, I think, both of us being founders and CEOs. Yeah. So I first came to SoulCycle in 2008 when we had one studio on the Upper West Side. And I lived downtown and I was pregnant with my first child. And I had heard about SoulCycle so many times. I have this rule of thumb in life. If you hear about something three times, then you have to go and either do it, eat it, read it. And I went up um, for my first class at 72nd Street, and I really don't remember much, Mm -hmm. but I remember the feeling of being in that lobby. We had 32 bikes at the time, and I came in for class, and we had 32 people coming out, and there were 32 of us going in in a room about this size. Mm -hmm. Everybody was sweaty. It's a small room. It was a (laughs) tiny room, especially for 64 people. And just the way that Julie and Elizabeth made me feel as part of that check-in. They knew I was coming. They knew who I was. I was six months pregnant. They set me up on the bike. Were you a fitness person? I was. I was at Equinox at the time. That was already at Equinox. Yeah, and I have always worked out. Mm -hmm. For me, it's always been around the social elements of working out and then also the mental clarity. When I got back to my office the next day (laughs) at Equinox, um, I got a handwritten card and a onesie and a silver soul cycle retail bag um, from Elizabeth saying thank you so much for coming in um, we'd love to see you again and in that moment it all kind of crystallized for me that it really wasn't about the fitness mm-hmm. and for me in that moment it wasn't even about the community it was about this notion that someone saw me and knew who I was and then followed up not with an ask you know in the fitness industry it's a lot around we want to see you back and here's a deal or an offer there was none of that it was just like this simple thank you and I fell in love with what they had built and what they were creating on the Upper West Side. And a very long story, very short, I ended up joining the company after we acquired the company in Mm -hmm. 2011 when we had seven studios all based in New York. And I worked alongside our founders for three years as we just literally put one foot in front of the other. Did you think you were going to become the CEO at that point? No. When that transition was made, was there a moment of you were like, oh shit, like I need to know this thing that I've never thought of from their perspective? Or like, was there any anything about the vision that you hadn't had to think about before that all of a sudden you being the CEO were put in a different position to think about the brand really? I think by the time we got to the point of transition, we had worked together for so long and there had been such an ongoing dialogue around the value set by mm-hmm. which we operate, how we wanted to scale the experience that, you know, it wasn't a seamless transition, but a lot of it, we just kept moving. You know, I, I transitioned into the CEO seat and they moved into creative chief creative officer roles. And so we were still in that same conversation in a really natural way. We had to think about the business differently. It had gotten a lot bigger. We were financing it in a different way. And there were different business challenges that we were facing that I was more focused on. But the experience can, you know, continued to be focused on by our founders as we worked through that transition. And remember, I always say that it's so much bigger than any of us sitting at 609 Greenwich Street here in New York. This experience is about something that's brought to you by the 350 instructors on our podiums every day that are producing 
a live show, right? It's a 45 minute journey. And so Mm -hmm. as long as the rider is not impacted, as long as our frontline teams are not impacted, our role in 609 is just to make sure that everything runs behind the scenes for them well. And that's something that we had all really built together over the three years before I became CEO. When I was prepping for this interview, we always think about management and we wanna get into that and talk about that in hiring. And I was reading our prep and then I went to a SoulCycle class and I started thinking about how complicated it must be for you guys because there's a layer of that you guys are managing people but you're also in some ways managing talent. Mm -hmm. Like the instructors have taken on brands of their own. How has that journey been? Because I'm I'm guessing it becomes an extra kind of additional layer to just the the hardest thing about a business, which is people. Yeah. So I think, you know, from the beginning we w- wanted to create a space for talent to be talent, not to be fitness instructors. And so we've created this ecosystem where instructors can make a home and build their careers with us. So mm-hmm. whether it's salaries, paid vacation, 401ks, benefits, retail allowances, you know, it enables them to invest their energy with us and with the brand on the podium so they're not worried about where their next class is going to come from. What we've built at 609 is a team of people who are really responsible for making sure that our instructors are clear on where they're going with the company. As we open new markets, if that's something that's interesting to someone, let's relocate them into that market. If there's a a media opportunity for them, we want to make sure that we understand where they want to be spending their time. And so it's definitely... um, I would say one of the biggest areas of focus for our HQ team. It's one of our largest teams because we recognize that our product truly is people. I'm sure anyone in the entertainment industry or who manages talent is listening and or if they listen and, and are saying, you know, good luck managing talent. <laughs> How hard is that component? What is like, what's the hardest part about, about actually saying like, we're going to foster talent and there's going to be some great stuff about it and then some stuff that's going to be like, oh my God, why do we do this? <laughs> I don't... Listen, managing talent is a very specific skill set. We have a chief talent officer who comes out of the entertainment industry, and she really understands the nuance of how to manage that sort of team. She has built a phenomenal team around her. But oftentimes in, in speaking with her, it strikes me that the way that she manages talent is not that different than the greatest leaders that I've worked for in that listening and really actively listening to people around you is how you get the best result and how you build the most authentic relationship. And so often in business, we're so eager to respond or to tie something out or just to move on to the next project. And I think great talent managers and great leaders really make the time and the space to have that conversation, Mm -hmm. to look you in the eye, to say, I know you said you want to do this, but why? And really unpack that and so we can help to guide people through their careers, whether they're on the podium, whether they're in the studios, or whether they're in our HQ. And putting that emphasis on career development is something we've tried to do across the organization. Again, candidly, because we have been doubling the business for the last five years. We need a lot of people to come along this journey with us. And oftentimes, we need people to step into roles before they're ready. And so really understanding who those individuals are as true individuals and human beings enables us to coach them to their potential faster, uh, because that's really what we have needed to do to expand the business. Danielle, I just want to let you know that I'm totally okay with you taking a vacation later this month and not freaking out at all that you won't be in the office. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, that's good to know because you just came back from vacation. So, so how was that? Um, 
I'm not going to lie. It was really nice, but it was also really nice to come home and to me to you and I have to say like I love traveling I like hotels when you're lucky enough to stay at them but I have to say I really love my parachute sheets so visit parachutehome.com slash the skim for free shipping and returns on parachutes very comfortable bedding and bath linens they offer a 60-day trial so if you don't love your new stuff you can just send it back and just remember uh you can go to parachutehome.com slash the skim for free shipping and returns on their wonderful bedding and linens So they say it's lonely at the top. Uh, I can tell you that being a, a CEO and thank God we're co-CEOs can feel really lonely sometimes. Like you literally feel like everyone is critiquing you. There's problems that you can't even articulate to other people because you have to keep them close to the vest. And like every day we talk about like, thank God that we each have each other. How lonely did you realize? I'm very curious, not only like your vantage point as a CEO, but did you have a, a different appreciation or understanding of what the founders had gone through maybe that you did it when you were just working with them? I think I have an entirely new appreciation for every CEO that I've worked for now sitting in this seat, mm-hmm. um, whether it be the CEO of Equinox Harvey, who I've now worked yeah. with for 12 years, or working with Richard Branson or working even at Starwood Hotels way back in my career. I think it's really easy to criticize or to distrust decisions that are being made or feel like there's more to the narrative that a leader isn't sharing with you. And what I've really tried to do is hold myself accountable to making the best decision for the business in service of the people that are part of this business and our shareholders ultimately and the people that we service every day in the studios. And sometimes those things are in conflict and sometimes they're perfectly aligned. It is a very lonely role. I wish I had a co-person sitting next to me sometimes to share some of this, but I also think sometimes the singular meditation, and for me, it's being in the room Mm -hmm. and being able to put it on the handlebars, metaphorically and truly physically, where I can sort through some of this stuff and work through sort of the big picture on maybe this is a problem we can solve a little more easily. Who's your go-to person that you talk stuff out with and can confide in? I mean, my husband is my number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try not to bring too much of my work into our marriage and relationship. He's also very busy and traveling, he, but he has been an incredible advisor, confidant, and mentor to me over my career. Do you guys work out together? Does he ride on, with you? On the weekends, yeah. sometimes, but not that often. We do this thing that I always encourage couples that have young children to do. We call it the Soul Cycle Handoff. So I go down to the studio <laughs> at 8.30. I ride on a Saturday morning. He brings my kids down at 9.15. We oh have 15 minutes gosh. in the lobby together, and then he rides. And then we go hang out at the park afterward. It's the best way to... That seems like a good system. Sometimes you want to go and work yes. out on your own yeah. and have your own space. So I want to play a really quick round of true-false. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, true, false, you have a millennial mentor. True. Tell me more about that. So I have a young woman in our office who has very kindly offered to spend time with me every couple of months. Did you approach her? I did approach her and said, look, to the point of the CEO role can be a lonely job. You're oftentimes in meetings from 8 o'clock in the morning till 7 o'clock at night, and you don't have time to get out in the world and see what's happening. 
And I also think that the best problems are solved by people that are closest to the customer mm-hmm. and closest to the cultural trend. And so I, we started a conversation around, keep me honest on this, what do you think? And it evolved into this, let's go spend half a day out of the office and show me how you spend your time and where people are going and what people are talking about. And so she curated an afternoon and we started by getting our ears double pierced because oh, why not? Oh my God. <laughs> At it's Maria true. Tash, at which it. is amazing, <laughs> and went through Soho, and we ended up actually at Glossier in the showroom on a Friday night at 7.30, yeah. and it was packed yeah. with young women just having conversations around product, around life, and such diversity mm-hmm. in that showroom. It was really just an interesting moment for us, and so I said to her, would you do this again? And so we try to make it a regular occurrence. So I want to... My, my true-false game. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. I the, the, the next the one, I just want to... Um, True-false, <laughs> you meal plan Sunday nights for your family. True. That one gets me. How do you do that? <laughs> like, actually, like, well, Sunday nights come around, and I'm like, can I sit on the couch and watch whatever is on... Netflix. So I have two small humans that are relying on me to exist. Mm -hmm. And so we actually plan everything for the week. We call it the wheel and plan. And it involves food and schedules and coverage and events, doctor's appointments and things we need to be at. And without the wheel and plan, we all go off course because... What what is is the wheel and plan? Yeah, like, do you write it out? Is there, like, a dry erase board? So an email draft, we really want to do this. Yeah, let's do it. This is going really deep here. Let's do it. Thursday, the email draft starts with my, my assistant, starts okay. my schedule for the upcoming week and coordinates with my husband's assistant oh. so she knows where we're going to be. Then the draft comes to me. And then usually on Friday, I'll workshop the nuances and then layer in food schedules, plans. And then I try to publish it to what I call Team Wheelin by Sunday so okay. we all know who's going to be where and make sure that, you know, listen, I always joke that I can never be me without Instacart, Amazon Prime, Fresh Direct. It's not as if I'm preparing these amazing meals. I'm just making, I'm the quarterback that makes sure it's all there. Oh, thank you for going into that. That's amazing. Okay, wait, last true, false, you you ride every day. False. I try to ride four or five times a week. Um, I wish I could ride every day. I would ride every day. I just can't make the time. Do you ride at a certain time? those four or five days or do you like walk out of a meeting and you're like I, I have to go always in the morning okay. I have to get it done in the morning otherwise the day just starts if to you're pile in a up, different right? market like so not in New York can you sneak into a class and not have them know who you are for the most part yes depending on where I am and then do you critique anything uh no okay. no 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 not my not my role my role is to I always introduce myself on the way in I mm-hmm. never want people to panic yeah. that I'm there I want them to be excited and then I always want to acknowledge the great work that's happening because I can say all of the time I'm always thrilled by what's happening in the studios I love meeting the riders that are in the lobbies of these studios I call it work vacation mm-hmm. when we travel into new markets because I really feel like I'm so free I can get up five in the morning, I can ride at six, seven, I can carry on a whole day, I can ride in the evening, I can work until whatever I want. So I love spending time in the studios then and I probably ride the most, frankly, when I'm on the road. One thing that I've noticed about you guys as a brand that I feel like we struggle with is to try things and either fail fast and move on or continue with them. And I've seen you guys, I mean, obviously go into retail, obviously now going into media in some way, but also I was a big fan of Soul Annex. And that to me was such a cool experiment to see someone just, and this is, you know, as a consumer, like find a place, 
try something and see what happens. How do you guys, being a company, being a brand, how do you actually like structurally do that and try new things at the level that you're at? Yeah, it's uh, when you've set expectations, much like you guys have done with your readers, that you deliver a certain level of experience, you have to keep their expectations met. So it, and I think the bigger you get and the more powerful your brand, like the skim, like SoulCycle, you want to make sure that you are delivering. So we start always first with the rider, and we really try to understand what it is that they want. So the Annex is a perfect example. Our riders were saying to us, we love spending time with you. We love the brand. We love the experience. We love your talent, but we can't ride a bike five days a week. So what else could there possibly be? And that's where the Annex was born. Uh, and we stood it up and we tried it. And we got a cross-functional working team on it. And we really tried to play through the downside of like, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if that happens? And once you plan for the downside, I think you can really take almost any risk, provided it starts with a great customer insight and you test as you go against that those same customers to say, is this servicing the need that you had asked for? And pivoting when it's not working, which for us was the space at 18th Street just didn't mm -hmm. work for what we wanted to create. We've got columns and sound issues and all this kind of stuff, but it was meant to be a six-month experiment, which we did. What are you not good at? Um, so uh, one of my colleagues on my team calls me the chief weed officer oh, because despite <laughs> my role, I believe... I'm like, what are you really good at? <laughs> I, uh, one of the biggest challenges, I think, transitioning from being a COO to a CEO is a COO is really focused on this week, last month, and the upcoming quarter, right? And making sure the team is galvanized on what it is we're actually operating and what we're meant to deliver. A CEO, as you guys know better than I do, is really what's the next two or three years? Where is the world going? And then mm -hmm. how are we going to author our narrative as part of that? Mm -hmm. Making that change can be really tricky. Holding yourself accountable to, there are people better and smarter than me mm -hmm. now back here operating the business so I can be looking out. I have a tendency to go right back into the yeah. weeds because I'm so happy in the weeds. So that's, real. I was gonna circle back to when I interrupted your, your game before, Danielle, but uh, <laughs> sorry about that. It was a new thing, I like it. <laughs> Bring it back. It's fun. <laughs> I tried it. It. It, was a, it was a good thing, <laughs> try and fail. Yeah. Uh, but um, your mentor, your millennial mentor, I'm sure, and like we have some of our skimmers in the room right now, and I saw their their ears perk up when you said that you had this mentor. And I'm sure people listening are going to wonder, how do I become that to someone? I don't want to insult my manager, or my CEO, by by offering myself. Um, how do you use that mentor to help you be an efficient CEO, to help you become that visionary? And what advice would you give to those listening who could probably help another CEO in that way? I'm gonna take the second part of that question yeah. first, I think, which is the mentorship relationship we have is really two-way. Mm -hmm. it, it came from a place of, I want to understand more, mm -hmm. but I make sure that as we are going through our experiences that I'm offering some advice as we go, things I'm noticing, things to think about in her career as well. And I think if it starts from a place of, someone is mentoring you, offer it back mm -hmm. in either direction, in a really organic, hey, have you thought about this? Most of what we talk about is really constructive because we do t talk about things specific to soul cycle as well as what's going on in the world. And I'll ask her, so we read this in our culture survey, what do you think about this? And she'll offer me really constructive ways mm -hmm. to think about it that then I can mm -hmm. take back to the leadership team in a way that you know may inform some short-term and may inform some long-term decisions that we're making. So I think you know one of the things I've also tried to do, especially in the last couple of years, is surround myself with true business mentors. As I moved from COO to CEO, I was yeah. very aware 
that I had not been in this position before. And so I asked a round of recommendations for other CEOs mm-hmm. who had been in similar positions so that I could ask questions. And I always try to keep it very focused. Three questions, can I ask your advice? I read somewhere that if you ask someone for advice, the tendency for them to respond favorably is like four times yeah. more positive because they feel like you really need them and you truly do want right. their advice versus saying, can you mentor me in something? So I, I've just tried to ask a lot of questions and then ultimately that relationship can start to become two-way. I love that. I think that uh, I hope that people listening start all of a sudden start having these kind of millennial mentee mentor relationships. Yeah. Uh, last question: What's the worst piece of advice you've gotten? To hold on to an employee who you know in your gut is not the right fit either for the role, the culture, or the organization. Um, to try to make it work for one reason or another when ultimately if you zoom out from you, the business, and you just try to think objectively, you know it's not a fit on either side. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately, especially around people and a strong brand with a strong cultural organization, you know in your gut, if you're really part of that team, what's working and what's not working. It's the worst. It's the worst. It's so hard. It's so tough. The worst. Right? And listen, the truth of it is we all make mistakes. You guys are growing just the same way we're growing. We're hiring at such a clip. You're going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. But as long as you're really clear and you make the decision quickly and then you communicate clearly as much as you can why you've made the decision, um, I've just been coached previously hold on it will turn around give more advice and you're like i just know in my gut it's not working so can i make that change yeah so i think just the bigger you get and Mm -hmm. the more complex the business you have to listen to your gut almost even more yeah i couldn't agree more well melanie thank you so much uh really appreciate you coming in thank you for everything thanks for having me and your office is amazing oh, thank, thank you. you speaking about physical manifestations of a strong brand it's oh. so inspiring to be here thank, thank you, you very so much. much thanks for hanging out with us join us next week for another episode of skim from the couch and if you can't wait until then subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day sign up at theskim.com that's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.